right, welcome back. Welcome back to the Real Estate Podcast. This is episode three, and I am very, very excited about our special guest today. We have Louisa with Security National Mortgage Company, our preferred lender over here at Springs Realty. Louisa, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are? Hello, hello. Um, my name is Louisa, as Tyler said. Um, I am with Security National Mortgage, and I am originally from Cleveland, Ohio. And I am from Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> so we don't see eye to eye on sports teams, but that's okay. That's all right. We, we made it through it. My butt heads <laughs> on sports, some other things. Exactly. Power through. So go Browns. Um, Who did? <laughs> uh, from Cleveland, moved out here 10 years ago almost. Um, pretty much got right into the mortgage world, um, and I've been doing that ever since. Um, and I love it. And it's been a great opportunity working with Springs Realty um, and helping um, them just improve their yeah. lending processes. We love having you. Um, obviously, um, you know, your company has a lot of tools available to our consumer to help us convert at a higher level. Um, and you do a great job of sitting down with the customers or doing a Zoom with them and really bringing that personal connection. Um, and taking your time to do the one-on-one -on -one time and you bring great customer service skills and everybody seems to like you. I think we just had tacos with a, uh, a client down in Pueblo <laughs> yes, last week, didn't we? we did. We missed the margaritas, but hey, we'll do that next time. That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. So we are going to jump into it. We got a lot of cool stuff to talk to you guys about today. Um, we're going to kind of blast through everything from concessions to buy downs, house hacking, purchasing investment properties, tools for saving for a down payment, credit. Um, but let's uh, let's kind of jump it off. Let's talk about our contract dates and deadlines. So as a real estate professional, we're doing contract dates and deadlines. And there's a whole bunch of stuff on there about lending um, everything from, you know, buyer's credit application to loan terms. We've got inspections, appraisals. Um, Talk to us a little bit about your process and what we need to be aware of as a real estate professional. Awesome. Um, absolutely. So there's quite a few deadlines as your lender um, that we're going to be super concerned about. You know, just obviously um, you've got a lot of money on the line, right? When, you, when you're purchasing a home, you've got your earnest money, inspection money. Absolutely. Um, so I mean, it's, it's important. It's the biggest investment most people make in their lives exactly. is their home. It's a big decision. There's a lot of uh, emotion involved. So we definitely want to help guide them through the most favorable thought process and give them good information. Absolutely. So I think, you know, I just, before I kind of go into the deadlines, that's why it's so important that you're working with a realtor and a lender, that team together, because there's that cohesiveness when you're moving through, you know, looking at homes and then ultimately going under contract and moving through all those different deadlines. Um, really, it's to take the, the onus is on us and protecting your money, protecting your earnest money, things like that. Um, so the first deadline um, is going to be the application deadline. Sure. Um, that is really, you've provided your lender, they've done their full pre-approval, they know there's not going to be any issues getting that loan from under contract and then ultimately to the closing table. Um, I like to do all that work up front, so I've got my pre-approval done. You know, so really that loan application loan application deadline is complete before you're even going under contract ultimately. That's right. So when we're writing our contracts, we don't even need to put a date in there. We just write completed and that yeah. helps us have a stronger offer to our sellers, knowing that that um, you know, piece of the puzzle is already done. We we're packing everything on the train before we're shooting it down the tracks. Um, and I wanna kind of reiterate uh, what you said about making sure you have a good lender that you team up with. Um, you know. Sometimes people have different lenders and things like that. I had a, 
a new build not too long ago. We had a four month lead time. We got to closing day and I got a whole package of preliminary docs that they still needed. And I was like, how, how did this happen? What have you been doing for four months? <laughs> <laughs> today's the day we closed. Like I, I asked you two weeks ago if we were on track. We're starting the process today and that one pushed uh, out. Yeah, probably six weeks beyond that. So yeah. it, it really, you know, people have an emotional battery. Everybody does. And when it drains, it really just takes the fun out of it. And buying a home should be, you know, a fun process. It doesn't always work perfectly, but we can do what we can as professionals to make sure that they are going to have the best possible experience. Exactly. When you close on that home, I'm going to be like, wait a second. I just bought a house. I yeah. just took out a mortgage. That's like, right. that's my goal is to be like, wow, everyone says a mortgage is so stressful. Really doesn't have to be that way. Neither does any of the real estate stuff. Again, so just going back to team. So, yeah. Um, so that's the application deadline. The next deadline, again, just kind of bringing that protecting your money. One of those first things you're going to do with Tyler or your agent on Springs Realty is going to be the inspection. Um, so that's really just making sure, you know, all the big systems, all of that, you know, you're not buying a lemon. Um, the reason I like to manage the inspection deadline. So the biggest one is the resolution deadline, meaning you're going to reach an agreement on any items that you guys are negotiate, negotiating as a result of the inspection. I want to manage that deadline with the appraisal deadline. Sure. The reason I do that is because you're already shelling out how much for an inspection? Uh, it's going to depend. Um, the home inspector About. we use a lot um, with Pillar to Post, his name's Joshua Deck. He always mm -hmm. provides three different levels of service so that basically a homeowner, per their budget, they can decide um, you know, what they need and age of the house, condition of the house as well, and whether they need any add-ons like radon or sewer right. scope. But it can cost anywhere from you know, 250 bucks to over a thousand dollars for a home inspection. Right. So you've got your earnest money, which is about 1% of the purchase price. So sure. that's a lot. Then you've got your inspection cost. Um, I want to make sure you're moving through with the contract, regardless of anything that came up on the inspection before I have you paying for an appraisal. Sure. Um, the appraisal is one of the items that you'll pay, for, the only item you'll pay for on the mortgage side of things before closing. So again, I want to make sure you're through an inspection before we also have you on the hook for the appraisal. Absolutely. A lot of lenders just order the appraisal once you sign all the docs because that's the easy way to do it. Um, but again, if you're going to terminate for any inspection reasons, I don't want you to be out almost $1,500 and then have to do that all over again on the yeah, next project. It makes sense. And then um, kind of piggybacking off of that with the inspection, um, with the conventional loan, cash offer, that's going to be kind of the end. But with the appraisal on the government-backed loans, specifically mm -hmm. your FHA and your VA, you're actually going to have the appraiser come out and they're going to look for things that need to satisfy that loan condition. Um, I forget how many items it is for an FHA, but a lot of times they'll look at things like grading, peeling paint, mm -hmm. and things of that nature that might not have come up on the inspection because they might not be important to the purchaser, but they're very important to the loan service or, um, provider through the government. So yeah. basically they're gonna ask for additional repairs. Yeah, so yeah, that, that's basically, you know, health and safety stuff, yeah. you know, so those are government-backed loans, so they're gonna really scrutinize the property a little more, um, and so, Again, you know, you're going to have to be prepared to, sh you know, shell out their, you know, final inspection, yep. which ranges between 150 and 200 bucks. So again, the onus is on your lender and your realtor team to really just make sure they're managing the deadlines for you and obviously keeping you in the loop, but really just making sure that we're executing, again, ultimately in your best interest. Absolutely. Um, anything else we want to kind of touch on as far as the, the dates and deadlines before we kind of jump into some of this concession stuff? Yeah. So the last deadline, um, obviously closing is the most important deadline on sure. the contract, right? Because that's the exciting part. Um, but the, one of the biggest deadlines I'm going to say is loan availability. 
Um, that is the date in Colorado on the contract when your earnest money goes hard. So if for whatever reason you're working with a lender that does not have their stuff together, you go past that loan availability deadline and then for whatever reason the financing falls through, that means that that seller gets to keep your earnest money um, you know, once you terminate that contract. So it's so, so, so important, um, again, that you're working with a lender that really knows what they're doing. Absolutely, so. as well as real estate professional, yep. most realtors who, um, you know, will have a transaction coordinator system, but if mm -hmm. you're working with somebody who's a little bit newer uh, to the game, as a consumer, I would encourage you to ask them to print out your um, contract dates and deadlines mm -hmm. uh, through CTM contracts. It's just a fun little kind of calendar and it shows you when things are due throughout the transaction. So you wanna trust that your professional is gonna take care of you, but um, you know, if you wanna trust but verify, definitely make sure you have those. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yep, have that. <laughs> Absolutely, so yeah, that's the contract. And then um, as far as going through, I know it's probably shouldn't need to be said, but there's a reason we have do not tip signs on vending machines and things like that. While you're going through it, please don't take out any new lines of credit. Uh, please don't make any big major purchases like new furniture or televisions for your house, especially if you're a little tight on your debt to income. Um, my personal favorite, please do not quit your job prior to closing because they will do employment <laughs> verification. And I remember when I did new builds, I had to sell a house twice because they called to make sure the guy had a job. And they said, oh, he quit three days ago. And that was day, day before closing. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, now you don't have any income. So this isn't gonna there work. There Yep. <laughs> I have a big disclaimer at the bottom of my email in bright red, like, and yep. obviously I talk about it with all my clients, but you know, everything is stressful. There's a lot going on. So it's all down there and um, it's just a good Absolutely. reminder every time I email them. Cool. Don't do that. All right. So tell us some of the secrets, FHA, VA concessions. Do we want to chunk these out one at a time or do we want to kind of talk about concessions with both of them or how do you want to do this? I think we can talk about it in a whole. Um, so basically um, concessions are um, something like when we're looking to write the contract. So when your realtor and your lender are teaming together to kind of figure out how does that financing you know, work best for you? Um, one of those things that we can do, especially just being in an, an in a rate environment where you know interest rates are a little bit higher right now, um, everyone is so quick to jump to the price reduction. Yeah. Um, what I love to show my buyers is, well, let's not look at reducing the price. Let's look at going in at full ask or even a little bit over. You know, obviously making sure that it's going to appraise. Yeah. Um, and then asking for concessions from the seller. So, for example, that would be let's just say, for easy math. You're going in, you're offering on a property that's $500,000. Okay. Okay. And we can save you money on your mortgage payment by buying the rate down. So that's using the concessions from the seller to achieve a lower interest rate, ultimately to lower that payment and make that house more doable for you. What Tyler can do as part of writing up that contract after I've run the numbers is say, all right, home's listed at 500,000. We're gonna go in at 505,000 but we're gonna ask for $10,000 in seller concessions. So that might take your rate from being in the low sixes to being in the high fives, making that payment while we're waiting for that refinance opportunity much more maintainable, you know, in the short term. Absolutely. Um, and then, you know, we, we live in the land of credit cards and a lot of people kind of, um, you know, aren't in the, the healthiest place financially. Mm -hmm. I, I think there's some stat about like 65% of Americans not being able to afford a a $500 emergency, which is really, really scary. 
Um, but there's all sorts of different tools you can use, um, specifically like with your VA loan, you can use it for some debt reduction, help with closing costs. Mm -hmm. um, so you have less money out of pocket, so you don't have to cover your closing costs, no money down, and potentially even you know pay off some credit card debt or something like that. So yep. you're gonna have a better place financially being on a, a 30 year fixed mortgage and not worrying about these month to month credit cards where maybe you're making the minimum payment or something like exactly. that. Exactly, yeah. The nice thing on a VA loan is you can have the concession to do that. Yeah. So that's something very specific to the VA loan, unlike FHA or conventional or some of those other products out there. Um, yeah, VA, um, you know, you can you get a max of 4% of whatever loan you're taking. Um, is it 6% with FHA? Yep, 6% with FHA. And then some of the other products out there kind of just depends on your down payment. Okay. Um, but again, that's why you're working with professionals that know those thresholds to make sure that, you know, there's not going to be any concessions left on the table if for some reason, you know, you negotiate too much. Absolutely. Um, but again, yeah, the VA loan, um, you can use, you have much more flexibility with how you're going to use those concessions. So, and really quick, I want to just touch on for a VA loan, gotten this a lot lately. Um, I think there's a big misconception out there with the VA loan that 100% financing means you don't have to bring any money to the table whatsoever at all. Yeah. Um, one thing I just want to clarify, that means that as a veteran or active duty military, you don't need to put any money down as far as your down payment, but you still are responsible if no concessions are negotiated or not, you're not taking a higher rate to get lender concessions to cover your closing costs, you still are responsible for your closing costs and also your prepaid costs to set up certain accounts that pay out taxes, insurance for you, things like yeah, that. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, let's let's touch on a word that you said real quick, prepaid. So mm -hmm. what is a, what is a prepaid? I'm, it's first time I'm buying a house. Yep. I'm, let's say I'm using an FHA loan, three and a half percent down. I have no idea what a prepaid is. Can you explain that to me? Absolutely. So there's going to be two types of costs when you're purchasing a home. So you're going to have your closing costs. Really the easiest way to know that, that's just the cost of doing business. Yeah. With the lender, the title company, the different entities involved. Prepaid costs um, are uh, a forgotten part of the situation. Um, so those are going to be standard lender collections. Any bank, anyone up um, closing a residential transaction are going to collect at closing. So prepaids are... We're going to collect your first year of insurance at closing. So we as your lender need to verify that your home is insured at the time of closing. Yeah. How we do that is a part of your down payment, closing costs, and everything you're bringing to the closing table is we collect for that first year up front. Okay. Um, the second one is going to be days of interest. So based on the day you close till the end of the month, based on your interest rate, any lender or bank is going to collect days of interest from the day you close till the end of the month. Really the reason why we do that is Essentially, you're going to skip two payments when you close or two months of payments. So let's just say you close in May. Um, your first payment is not till July. Yep. So to allow you to do that, we're just going to collect some interest. Sure. Um, then the last two they kind of go in hand in hand is going to be setting up your escrow account. So your escrow account, easiest way to think about it is just a big savings account. Um, when you close, your lender, your servicer manages that escrow account. What that escrow account does is when your insurance is up for renewal once a year, so take a May closing, so next May in 2024, um, or when your property taxes are up for renewal twice a year in Colorado, there's enough money sitting in those escrow accounts to basically pay those renewals out. Absolutely. So at closing, we just do um, a small deposit into that escrow account. That way, again, skipping two payments, all of that factored in with the renewal dates, there's enough money in those escrow accounts, again, 
for your service or lender to pay those bills for you. And I'll just kind of piggyback off that through my experience with new construction. Mm -hmm. um, you got to be really careful before a house is built as well, because you're being taxed on dirt, which is basically nothing. Um, so the lenders can potentially put you in a house without factoring in the houses after the or the house after, ugh, after the the taxes after the house has been built. Yeah. Um, so you want to make sure that you're communicating with your lender and you understand your total monthly payment PITI. Uh, principal interest taxes insurance with those taxes kind of factored in and not get a uh, unwelcome surprise after you live there for a year or so. Yeah. And I think, again, just going to drive it back to that's why you work with a experienced realtor and lender team yeah. who understand the difference between purchasing something that's pre-existing versus something that's brand new, because you're just going to start at a higher tax threshold Absolutely. on those new builds. And I know it's kind of a big thing in the news right now. We've got uh, the new tax assessments that came out. A lot of people went up by about 40%. Um, we've actually had three requests so far this week, and we decided to um, push it out as a free service from our company. If you got a new tax bill and you want us to run um, some comparables for you, we're happy to provide that service so you can try to petition it and get your tax bill back down. A lot of people are having success with that. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just something that we uh, want to do to help you guys and provide some resources to the consumer. So reach out to us if you want us to do that. I'm doing it. Okay. I love it. We're all doing it. <laughs> Everybody should do it. Why wouldn't you? Absolutely. Yeah, save some money. Um, cool. Uh, we talked, touched on buy downs. Let's talk about kind of the different kinds. There's uh, people are talking about two, one buy downs, three, two, one buy downs, um, straight rate buy downs and the interest rate. What does all this kind of mean for me as a consumer? Yeah. Um, so the difference between a straight rate buy down and kind of what Tyler said, a three, two, one buy down or a two, one buy down is, um, so the straight rate buy down is just taking that concession. You're just simply having that concession pay the cost for whatever that lower rate is. Yeah. Just simple as that. So you're taking a rate from, let's just say 6.375 to 5.75. And that 5.75 is fixed through the life of the loan. Okay. It's not going to change. Where the buy downs are different as in like the 2-1 buy down. Let's just use that as an example. 3-2-1 buy downs. The market's heating up a little. So those are okay. getting a little harder to do. Yep. A little um, more expensive. To yeah. Take about three a little years. more expensive. Um, the 2-1 buy down is the same idea as negotiating concessions from the seller to basically lower your interest rate for the first two years of your mortgage. Yep. So everyone's like, where's the catch? There really is no catch. It's no money out of your pocket. It's all coming from the seller. And how that works is, let's just take that 6.375 again. We use the concessions to achieve a, for the first year, a principal and interest payment of 4.375. Yeah. At the start of year two, you're at 5.375. And then at the start of year three through 30, you're at 6.375. So basically, it kind of works like an adjustable rate mortgage, mm -hmm. only the difference is you have a lifetime cap of whatever the current market rate is, so 6.375. And you know, nobody has a crystal ball, so I'm not gonna hold your feet to the fire on yeah. this, but uh, we do have, and I'm not gonna get political either, but it is an election <laughs> year next year. Um, interest rates are a little bit higher than where they've been. We're kind of on par with what we've seen um, over the last 40 years, we're not doing the historic lows that we saw, you know, in the 2010s era. We'll probably never see that again. Um, but with the 2-1 buy down, I think a lot of people are anticipating um, that they're getting some help right now. And then in a couple of years, they're going to refinance their mortgage. Is that kind of how we're packaging this to people and presenting it? That yes. we anticipate interest rates um, will go down after we kind of get through this little recession or rocky patch that we're in? Yeah. So how I like to say it is it's truly having your cake and eating it, too. 
again, at no expense to you. It's all at the expense of the seller. Sure. Um, so, right, it's buying you time, saving you money. Um, during this time, life's expensive. So it's allowing you to put more money away in those first couple of years. Um, you know, and kind of the idea too is obviously, yes, buying time for the refinance. Also, the idea too is like, you know, people are excelling in their careers, right? By the by the time year three hits, let's just say worst case, you had the refinance had not presented itself yet. Yep. The idea is hopefully one, you've been preparing for that payment. Um, and two, you know, maybe you're making some more money, things like that. Absolutely. Um, so I am a big fan. If I was buying right now, um, like this is the time to do it. Um, one thing I'll also say too is let's just say you uh, the refinance opportunity presents itself, but you haven't hit that full two years yet. A year and a half has gone by. So you've got six months left in that first two years where you've got that reduced rate. Yep. So it kind of works. How how the buy-down works and how we lower your payment is that lump sum concession that was used to do it sits in kind of like what we talked about, an escrow account or a savings account that the lender manages for you. And then what they do is every month they apply that credit needed to make up the difference in the payment. Um, whatever money is left over at the time of refinance, if you haven't made it through that full buy-down period, comes back to you on the refinance. So what that means is it's going to lower the amount you're paying off on the refinance. So again, it comes full circle. There's no money left on the table. So if you were to refinance before then, it's not like whatever concession was you know, obtained goes away, it comes back. So again, having your cake and eating it too, there's no catch. I love it. Big fan. Cake's a good thing. Love cake. Absolutely. <laughs> Love cake. <laughs> Love cake. All right. What, what's your favorite kind of cake? Real quick sidebar. I am a white on white. Okay. Funfetti or what is, is it? Funfetti? Sure. Funfetti. Funfetti. Yeah, just my jam. Yeah. yeah. Simple. I like ice cream cake. I'm cheating. Well, that's good too. Okay. I mean, yeah. Okay. I take that too. Yeah. Regular cake. Yeah. Dairy um, Queen, the little um, yeah. personal mm-hmm. ice cream cakes. Those oh, are my jam. Yeah. I like Chocolate, nice chocolate cake, but ice cream cake. I'm not cakes, a chocolate, chocolate. No, you like the no. vanilla? Mm-hmm. Okay. White on white. Fun white on fetty. Fun fetty. <laughs> All right, what do we got next? We've got house hacking. All so right. we're going to talk about this. This is super, super popular with some people, specifically kind of my age demographic, your age demographic. Um, mm-hmm. I'm older than you, I'm an old man at this point. But um, <laughs> we got uh, multifamily purchases where basically somebody's going to live in one space for a couple of years, rent out the other spaces, pay off their mortgage, turn it into investment property, become a real estate mogul. What do they need to know about that? <laughs> so if I were to do it all over again, yeah. I've got a few properties myself. Um, so I can help explain the house hacking because okay. um, I did it myself. If I were to do it all over again, though, I would start with a multi-unit. Okay. Um, the reason why is because those things just tend to cash flow way better because you're essentially purchasing two, three or four houses. For the yeah, price and of one exactly. expensive house. Exactly. So, and the beauty of the multi-unit, so in the residential mortgage world, yeah. um, you can't go over a fourplex. So anything from a two to a fourplex, so two triplex to a fourplex is going to be considered a residential mortgage. The beauty there is, um, obviously we use your income to qualify, but we can also use the rental income that the other units, whether it's two, three or four units, to help you qualify for that loan. Um, so that's a really great way for um, you know, someone who I look at this with like teachers, things mm-hmm. like that. They're just salaries are not as high. This is an expensive market. A duplex, triplex, something like that can be a really good way for them to get into something, have more income to help offset 
and qualify, um, you know, then also bring in some more money on top of their salary. Absolutely. And then you're specifically with the FHA loan, your loan limits are going to change based on your property type. Um, they change every single year. So these are 2023 um, kind of loan limits. But here in El Paso County, uh, for a single home, it's going to be $517,500. Uh, duplex jumps up to 662. A triplex jumps up to eight. And a quadplex jumps up to almost a million at 995. So with your three and a half percent down in your FHA, you can get a quadplex. Um, you're going to be 29850 as your down payment um, and basically get into this. And you could potentially positively cash flow um, and live for free if you make a $30,000 investment, depending on, um, you know, what the cash flow looks like. Yeah. So big fan of the multi-unit. Um, again, it's really from an underwriting guideline perspective, it's really hard to go from I live in a single family to now I want to live in a multi-unit and share walls. Yeah. Um, so it's, if that's something you want to do, it's really um, sitting down with your realtor and your lender together and really creating a plan of being a real estate mogul or, you know, you know, growing an investment portfolio is something you want to do. You know, you, you want to have a plan in place to make sure you're executing. If you're like, I want to buy one property a year, let's make sure we're doing that, but doing it the right way. That way, when you're trying to execute on it, it's not like, well, nope, loan guidelines are going to you know, prevent you from doing so. So it's, again, going back to the team and making sure you have a team of professionals, experts behind you, helping you execute. Absolutely. So let's say... For the sake of argument, I decide I want to buy a duplex mm -hmm. and I live in it for, um, you know, a certain amount of time. Maybe after a year, I'm like, you know, my my career is going better. I got a promotion or something happened. I want to rent this out and move out. Let's talk about capital gains. How long do I have to live in this property um, without being affected by capital gains? Good question. So it's all going to ultimately depend on are you selling the property or are you retaining the property and renting it? Sure. So if you're selling the property after living it a year, yeah, you're going to have gains. Um, you've got to live in a primary residence for at least two years before you're subject to a gain if you sell. Those short and long-term gains, so that all just depends. Yeah. Um, if the, the way to avoid the gain, and this is how I started my house hacking or how I started building my investment portfolio, is uh, my husband and I purchased our primary house. Okay. Okay. Primary residence, COVID hit. We both talk on the phone a lot. Um, so our house just was too small. So we were like, all right, we're going to um, retain that. We had only lived in it for a year and a half. We didn't want to sell because we didn't want to be subject to the game. But let's just try being out landlords. You know, I'm in the industry. He knows the industry well. So we retained that home, put a lease on it. Okay. We upgrade it to a bigger home so more space higher purchase price sure still with the ability if you wanted to to put minimum down but then we were able to use the rental income that our old primary residence um, is going to drive to help qualify for the new perfect so that's really also a great way like i think right now people are nervous about the interest rate environment the payment that's associated with it but they really feel like they want to you know level up in that next house like they've outgrown their first primary absolutely a great way to do that and offset that new payment that's going to be higher is keep that old primary residence rent it out your cash flow is going to be great because likely your interest rate is sub three mm -hmm. or low threes so your cash flow is going to be awesome rental market is good you know and then use that difference in payment to help offset that higher payment on the next primary Great. And then you can rinse and repeat yeah. in the house a year, 
decide to rent it. But just again, you want to make sure we're building that story to the underwriter. Yeah, and they're doing the doing the house hacking. The um, really uh, famous one is that book. I forget the guy's name. His last name's Green, I think. But um, it's Burr the Buy. Um, yeah. Basically, yeah, rehab, uh, rent, refinance, and repeat. Where yeah. people can build. Um, real estate empires basically by buying a house, fixing it up, sticking somebody in there, and then you know the house is worth more money once it's yep. uh, fixed up. So you refinance it, and then you pull that cash out and go buy another property. And then um, that famous quote, you know, don't wait to buy real estate, buy real estate and wait, and it's just going to appreciate and give you really good long term gains. Absolutely. And then like kind of feeding off what Tyler said, it's just going to be come down to. Where is the market? What's your equity stance in the house that you want to use to leverage that next purchase? So is it a HELOC, so a line of credit? Where were you looking to pull the equity? Is it a cash out refi? You know, what? what's the big picture? And everyone's financial picture, everyone's way to do that is going to be different. Because yep. everyone's jobs are different. Everyone's credit's different. Um, so yeah, again, just making sure you have a professional. Absolutely. Helping you do that. But big fan of house hacking. House hacking. Trying to um, convince my husband to do another one, but okay, <laughs> he well, wants to stay in his house with our we, house right now. <laughs> we do have a very lucrative flower business for sale apparently this week. Uh, you, I never know what you stumble across in this business, so if you want to buy a, a flower business hey. instead of a home, we could potentially make that happen too. <laughs> um, all right, so we're, we're house hacking. Let's say we've got a house, we've bought it maybe five, 10 years ago here in El Paso County and my $300,000 house is basically doubled in value. And I've got mm -hmm. all this equity in it. I really like getting out to the mountains, um, you know, whether it's somewhere in Breckenridge, out in Buena Vista, mm -hmm. um, doing some skiing stuff like that. And I wanna kind of use some of the equity in my house cause you know, I'm not moving from this home for a long time. It's our family house and I wanna buy another house. What does that process look like? So, um so it's gonna be a family house. So the nice thing there is um, it's gonna be a second home. Mm -hmm. So you can put as, you know, so on a second home purchase, the difference between a second home and investment property is you can put as little as 10% down. Okay. Um, now our government, you know, loan, you know, the way the loan industry has changed as far as second homes is there's gonna be some pricing adjustments there. So the interest rates on a second home where they used to be the same as your primary residence, um, there are now, pricing adjustments tacked onto those interest rates. So those rates are gonna be higher. Yeah. Um, so, but you can put as little as 10% down and then obviously onwards and upwards from there. We can also do the two one buy down stuff on a second home. Um, but great way to do that would be again, looking at a line of credit, using the equity you have in your current home, you've got a ton, like 300 grand, using that to make a really solid, substantial down payment. Um, on that second home, um, something else you might wanna look at is Hmm. Am I okay with the expenses that come with the home? Um, how long am I going to be, you know, occupying that as a second home? My family, myself. Um, do we want to try to do short-term or mid-term rentals to help offset some of those costs? Like I've got a client right now. They're looking in the mountains. They're not retired yet, so they're not going to use it as much. So to offset some of the expense for right now when they're not using the property as much, we're looking at the short-term rental and maybe midterms to just help, you know, kind of break even on some of those expenses. Absolutely. Um, so I think it's a great way to do it at a lower, a lower, you know, down payment entry on the second home side of things. Sure. So if I've got a few hundred thousand dollars in equity, um, you know, I could pull out 75 on a home equity line of credit and go buy a $750,000 condo out in Breck and, you know, maybe stick a, 
uh, corporate renter in there while I'm mm -hmm. on the wait list. Some of those um, real popular places have wait lists for short-term rentals. Yep. And maybe I won't get to enjoy it for a year or two, but I won't have to enjoy, um, you know, I won't have to offset the entire mortgage cost. I can stick somebody in there who's gonna pay my mortgage for a couple of years yeah. till my name pops on the short-term rental list. And then all of a sudden I have a very lucrative, uh, you know, Airbnb or what have you. Yep. And I can go up there and use it whenever I want. Absolutely. So I'm a big fan of the second home. Again, um, you know, an investment property, you're based on the way you're intending to occupy that, you are not able to, the occupancy, I'm sorry, on that, you are not able to occupy an investment property. So sure. the second home is a great way, again, lower down payment, um, and then obviously being able to rent and offset your expenses. Makes sense. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, all right. Uh, let's take it to a different direction. All of a sudden, I don't have $300,000 in equity. Um, I'm not buying a second house. That's just not where I'm at in my point in life. I am living in a crummy little apartment. I hate it. I want to save up. I want to buy a house. I want to be an adult. I want to be a homeowner. How am I going to do this? So um, my, I'm a big fan of not having easy access to your money. Absolutely. The problem is when you've got your checking in your savings account right there on your phone, it's so easy to transfer money back and forth, make purchases like that, you know, pull money. Anyways, um, so I'm a big fan of what I tell all of my clients that are kind of in that position is open an online high yield savings account. Sure. So I have one with Marcus. The return is like 3.9%. So at least your money's doing a little something for you during this inflationary time we're in. It's making you a little bit. Um, but the reason I like that or like Ally is because you're going to have to jump through more hoops to access your money. Meaning it's going to be a just, you know, you're not going to be able to make those, you know, more, um, what am I trying to say? Like, yeah, impulsive decisions where you're taking your money and even some degree of separation. Like there's some cool apps like Acorn and yep. stuff like that. Um, and you can set it up where you're going to automatically deduct a certain amount of money from your bank account mm -hmm. every single week or biweekly if you're paid like that or every month. Um, and then just put it in a separate place and you put your savings goal, say, hey, 12 months from now, I'm buying a house. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I want to buy a $400,000 house using an FHA loan. So I'm going to need $14,000. How much do I need to save every single month? And then plug that formula in and just execute on your plan. Um, as long as you execute on your plan, it works. Once you start, you know, deciding you need things that you might not necessarily need, <laughs> then it, it won't work. You'll never have that down payment. <laughs> I had an Uber driver who, you know, told me he's leaving uh, Colorado because he can't afford his rent anymore. And I was like, how long have you lived here? He was like 15 years. He's like, I should have bought a house a long, long time ago. I could have done it. And he's like, I was like, well, you still can. He was like, nope. And he moved to the Midwest and it's going to be a little bit more affordable for him. Yeah. So, uh, again, big fan of, again, just not having that access. Um, I do think talking to a realtor and a lender, even if you feel like you're a year or even two years out, um, it's just having somebody look at what you have currently going on with your savings. What tools are you using to save? You know, what are your habits, you know, credit, income? That way, again, what I like to say is mortgage planning. That way we, you have two people, your realtor and your lender holding you accountable on your goal is to buy that $400,000 house. Well, guess what? You've got two people that are gonna hold your feet to the fire and say, check up on you, how much you have in your savings. Yeah. Remember the goal. Um, and then the other piece of that puzzle is a lot of people who haven't purchased a house yet, um, they, number one, don't have money for a down payment, but number two, maybe their credit isn't there. Right. Um, so I know we've plugged a couple of people in with your credit repair program mm -hmm. and we basically put them on 
um, different strategies for pay downs or maybe getting a secured credit card if they don't have credit to try to build that up. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about what credit repair looks like and the best mm -hmm. way to navigate that? Because I know there's people who spend a lot of money on some of these scam companies oh, and, it, and it doesn't really work for them. They literally just collect your money and they don't do anything. Yep. Um, so I work with a guy, his name is Matt Davis, Complete Credit Plus. He's awesome. Um, so, I mean, you know, I know credit. I look at it every day. But when it comes to actually improving credit, trying to clean some stuff up, I would say it's like, you know, trying to lose weight. It's really easy to gain weight. But then once you're trying to lose the weight, it's so hard. Sure. Same thing with credit. It's so easy to mess it up. But when you're actually trying to fix it, it's, you know, it can feel like a really uphill battle. Yeah, it's um, starting to get warmer out. It's almost swimsuit season. So let's, if you got bad credit, let's start working let's on start it. Let's start working on let's, it. Let's get you, yeah. <laughs> Let's not put on many more weight. Let's let's get it down. Let's, yeah. you know. <laughs> so why I like Matt is um, he's going to give you a free consultation. So okay. he, I'm going to send the mortgage FICO score that I pull. Um, the mortgage FICO score is a true indicator of what your actual FICO credit score is. Absolutely. So credit karma, credit wise, Experian, all of those are good indicators of what your credit's doing. Is it going up? Is it going down? Um, but it really is an algorithm based on data. Um, so, you know, people get really frustrated sometimes when I pull their credit because it's a lot lower. But yeah. just remember, it's because we're taking a seven-year dive into anything that you've done on your credit. So where Matt comes into play is, let's just say for the last three years, you've had great credit. But some stuff happened in life, and life happens, you know, about six years ago. And you've got some collections, maybe some charged-off accounts. What he can do you know, you're busy with your day-to-day -day job, things like that, you know, trying to put food on the table, trying to save money to buy a house, um, is he can go after these collections, charge-offs, and try to get those deleted or help you settle them out with the bureaus for less. Um, and really just try to help you clean up that credit, try to get some of that derogatory stuff gone. That way it's not bogging your scores down. The biggest thing is having enough positive credit to try to outweigh the negative and, you know, try to get that credit up. Um, and so... A lot of times what I'm seeing and where Matt comes into play is, you know, you've got one good credit card, but you've got like all these collections from your past. Sure. Well, unfortunately, all that negative stuff, even with that one positive credit card, you don't have enough positive credit to outweigh that, the bad. Absolutely. So, so he does a really good job of, you know, checking in with you monthly, making sure, you know, you're doing what you need to do. He's telling you what he's been able to do. Um so it's great. And then I just, you know, once a month, also once a month, every other month, we'll follow up with those credit repair clients, keep them motivated, you know, keep the realtors involved with where things are. But, you know, it can be a slow, it can be three months, it could be six months, it could be nine months. But if you stick with it, I've had quite a few clients It took two years, but we did it. So I've done that before too. You know, and that's great. But, you know, you've got to be willing to put in the work. Absolutely. There's, so. there's a lot more non-success stories than success stories, specifically with that timeline. Um, so you just really have to stay really, really disciplined and execute on your plan. Otherwise, um, you know, it's not going to happen. If you continue to do the same thing, you're going to continue to see the same results. Exactly. So it's kind of just taking that chip off your shoulder, owning it, and just wanting to, you know, better. Because ultimately, not just buying a house, credit is like a part of your day-to-day. -day. Sure. Trying to do anything. Buy a car. Oh, I know. Shit. Get your... Your utilities, you know, they like pull your credit, apparently. Yeah. They pulled my credit. I remember, <laughs> you know, being fresh out of college and moving to Colorado and I had $1,600 in my pocket, and credit score of sub 500, and I was very, very poor. And then my car <laughs> broke down and I didn't have a job and I was very, very scared. And, you know, yeah. now I'm flirting with 800 numbers. So right. it's, a, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. It's a long, slow process. 
Um, but you just have to kind of stick with your plan and execute on it and you'll get there and you can do anything you want. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, I think the last thing we got to talk about is rate variances. Let's talk about that. Okay. So um, the biggest thing there is just going to be, you know, when you're looking at rates, when you're getting quoted, and I think the biggest misconception is not understanding that someone who's buying a, let's just say a 740 credit, okay? Someone who's buying a condo with 5% down with 740 credit, and someone, might be your friend, buying a single family home with 740 credit, 5% down, that interest rate is going to look vastly different. Um, and that's just because depending on that type of home, that type of property, um, our investors, so Fannie, Freddie, FA, they're going to be pricing adjustments associated with that type of home. Absolutely. Um, so just being aware of that, but that's something that when I talk to my clients, they're like, why, you know, why is that rate a little bit higher? Like, you know, and it's because, well, because you're purchasing a condo. Um, really to get on condos to get really good rates, you know, so you're really looking to get pretty comparable, almost like 25% down. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's obviously not usually doable. Um, so, you know, we can also look at an FHA loan on a condo, but just remember FHA can be difficult with condos because not every condo is FHA approved. And typically Um, the the condo associations are going to have very, very high fees associated with them, typically much higher than a, um, homeowners association. So just being aware of that, like knowing, you know, a condo to a single family, to a townhome, to, you know, planning a development of PUD. So you've got an HOA, you're buying a single family, you know. There's just variances on the rate. So, you know, just being aware of that, being an educated consumer. Um, and obviously that's, again, why you're working with a lender who's going to educate you on that and a realtor, um, you know, so. Absolutely. Um, I guess second home to investment properties, there's going to be variances there too, which we kind of touched on. But your second home, your investment property, um, you know, those rates are going to look much different than a primary residence. You're going to get the best rates, obviously, with your primary residence purchase. Um, and then... You know, when you refinance too, there are slight adjustments to the rates there, but ultimately, as long as you look to be saving that money on that refinance, it's going to make sense regardless. Yeah, I love it. All really, really good information. Um, We kind of covered a lot of different things across the board. So whether you're an aspiring first-time home buyer Mm -hmm. or, you know, you're 20, 30, 40 years deep in the game and thinking about, um, you know, getting your second property or things like that, hopefully there's some good information on here that you took away from it. Um, as far as closing remarks, is there anything we want to kind of talk about before we um, thank everybody and uh, for tuning in? I'm just going to bring it back to like, you know, your aspiring first time homebuyer, your aspiring real estate enthusiast who wants to be, you know, owning multiple properties. Just get with your mortgage professional, your realtor, sit down and make a plan. You don't have a plan. You're not going to execute. You don't have anyone holding you accountable. Um, again, you're a year, two years out. Get in front of your mortgage professional, mortgage plan, have a goal, um, be, you know, proactive and not reactive. And get your pre-approval secured before you go out looking at homes. Otherwise, you're going to be looking at these homes on Zillow. You're going to contact a realtor. You're going to go out, champagne taste on a beer budget and be like, you know, this is what I want. And then you get qualified and then you look at what you can have and you takes all the wind out of your sails. Don't do that. Get set yourself up for success with a solid foundation, a solid plan. Don't just go off willy nilly like it's a wild, wild west. 
Otherwise, you're going to have a bad time. It's like that. I'm, I'm bringing South Park into this. I guess we got Pickle Rick on the table so we could do it. Pickle but Rick. It's that episode where he's skiing, man. He says, if you hot dog when you want a pizza, you're going to have a bad time. You're not, yeah, that's not going to look good. <laughs> nah. <laughs> yeah, so I, again, just let's be really proactive, especially in this market, um, instead of reactive. And, you know, just I'll do my best to give you a champagne budget. I like it. Um, you know, Rock and roll. So. You are you are a consummate professional. You are great at what you do, Louisa. So are you, Tyler. And uh, <laughs> thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Have great days. Yes. Ooh.